Today I'm going to take you through the book of Acts. Not the whole book. I think there's over 20 chapters in there. But I'm going to start a series on the book of Acts. It is a very mission-minded, evangelistic book. It's very Christ-centered. It has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And I've been thinking about doing a series on the Holy Spirit. So rather than just topically do something on the Holy Spirit, I think I'll take you through the book of Acts, and it will be, it's quite a dynamic book that would be a blessing to this congregation. So just before we open God's Word, let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. Gracious God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We're still learning about Him, and no doubt will be for quite a while. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, you'll be with us this morning through your Spirit, we know he's the one that lifts up Jesus, and we want to lift up Jesus this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, take a Bible, and we have Matthew, and then what's after that? Mark, and then Luke, and then John, and then the book of Acts. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books, tell us about Jesus, right? They tell us about Jesus' life on this earth, his death, of course, his resurrection. But it's all centering around the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, one of these books was written by a doctor. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Which one? Dr. Luke wrote the book of Luke. Did you know that Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts? And we should think of Luke-Acts as two volumes in one. And the book of Acts also tells us about the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not his earthly ministry, but how through the Holy Spirit he is doing, continuing his ministry on this earth. And of course, Jesus at that time was in heaven. So think of these two books as Luke-Acts, one book, written by the same man, to a man called Theophilus. Don't you love these Bible names? Don't you love it when pastor says, now who will read this passage? And it has all those difficult names in it. All right, well, Theophilus, that's a bit of a mouthful. We think he was uh, a Roman official. Probably don't know a whole lot about him. But Luke says this, in my former book, Theophilus, which would be the former book? The Gospel of Luke. So, keep your finger in Acts. Go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I'm going to read these two together. Acts 1.1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions 
through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. When we go to the beginning of this former book, the Gospel of Luke, he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So in Luke and in Acts, we have Theophilus mentioned, possibly a prominent Roman military man. Not sure about that. Probably an important individual. And Luke is going around. Luke is a non-Jew. By the way, he's the only Gentile we know that wrote a book in the New Testament. Uh, this man, Luke, writing to Theophilus, Luke is going around. There's a lot of oral accounts of Jesus, verbal accounts of Jesus, probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those. And there are some written accounts of Jesus. And Luke is going to all different sources. I mean, wouldn't you like to have been there when he interviewed uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus? You can actually... One of the reasons that ladies like the Gospel of Luke... Did you know, ladies, that ladies like the Gospel of Luke? They do. Because he has a lot of comments about women in the book. And some think, well, of course, well, he's a doctor and maybe he's a little bit more sensitive than most men of those days to where women were coming from. And that's probably true. But maybe it's also true because he's interviewed Mother Mary and he's got her perspective on things also. But whoever he interviewed, it's probably a lot of people. It may have been while Paul was in prison. Paul and uh, Luke often worked together. Probably Paul's in prison somewhere and Luke's going around and gathering information and eventually he's putting this into an orderly account for this man called Theophilus. Now, why is he doing that for Theophilus? And we don't fully know the reasons for that. Maybe Luke is um, playing the part of a diplomat. Christianity, he's trying to show from Luke Acts that Christianity is the, the, the maturity of Judaism. It's not some offshoot. It's the full flowering of Ju Judaism. Judaism that's, that's embracing its Messiah. Christianity, Judaism was accepted by the Roman Empire. Christianity was not at this point in time. So the more orthodox that Luke can show Christianity to be, the better it's going to be for Christians. That could be a possible reason. Maybe Theophilus was a new convert who had influence in society, and Luke wants to help to understand uh, what the good news about Jesus Christ is all about. So there we have an interview book of Acts. And we can see similarities there. And this Luke acts as one book would take, some have estimated, about a quarter 
of the New Testament. So obviously this is an, an important witness that we're going to look at this morning. It's an important historical record. Luke has been praised as providing accurate history. Did you know that Christianity was a historical religion? Do you know the implications of that as against other religions? There have been eminent people who have been very skeptical about the historical reliability of Christianity, and they've been challenged, challenged in the classroom, challenged by their peers, show that Christianity is false. They have a historical background themselves. They have expertise in that area. They study the sources, and, and some of these individuals have become believers just by studying the historical reliability of Christianity. It is not just one or two people who have made these amazing claims for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is literally hundreds and hundreds of people that will testify to him in the pages of Scripture. So, so the Gospel of Luke Acts is in, an, an important historical record, and it's a very, very inspiring record of Jesus Christ. If you're dragging your feet as a Christian, if you're going through the motions, then throw yourself in the book of Acts. And there you will see the early Christian church energized. Wouldn't you like to be energized this morning? Now, you might be a bit suspicious if I gave you my favorite energy drink. Didn't Jim Jones do something like that? And passed it around the congregation. You might, you might pretend to drink it, but not actually drink it. But we all want to be energized. We want to be passionate. Raphael, you want to be passionate about our faith, right? The Holy Spirit can do that. He's to bring the abundant life to us. He's the one to fill up our sails, so to speak, so that we can move through the water with power in a way that glorifies God. So it's a very inspiring book. We see Luke as a historian. We see him as a diplomat. And of course, we see him as a theologian evangelist. Not just a theologian. Not someone that can just make great statements about the Lord Jesus Christ and interpret the events of the Lord Jesus Christ, but do it in an evangelistic way. So this, these books, Luke, Acts, are evangelistic literature. It's going to speak a lot about the good news of Jesus, a lot, a lot about the gospel. Maybe not from the perspective of the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, is one of the main characters in this book. So if you have a, a nice Bible that gives you an outline, you can look at that now while I'm talking in the book of Acts. Do you have a Bible that gives you a nice outline? This one I have is uh, quite an old Bible now. It's been out many years. <clears throat> but it's a, a good study Bible. And it has 
something about the author, that's Luke. It says that he's a companion of Paul, it says that he's a physician, explains those things. It gives us a couple of dates for the book tells us who the recipient was, Theophilus, or at least mentions him, doesn't explain him too much, tells us about the importance of the book of Acts, and then it tells me about the theme and the purpose, and that's the, what, that's the place that I always go to. What's the gist of this book? What's the main contribution? What does Luke say in the book of Acts that maybe Matthew, Mark, and, and John do not say? So it says here under the theme and the purpose, uh, it's to present a history. I've mentioned that to give a defense. I mentioned that when I said he was a diplomat. To provide a guide and to depict the triumph of Christianity in the face of bitter persecution. Then it gives me characteristics, accurate historical details, literary excellence. The Greek is very lofty, very uh, classical, uh, very good Greek. Uh, this obviously was an educated man, his doctor. Well, what kind of training did doctors get in the first century? Apparently, they got quite an extensive training. Uh, mentions um, on the characteristics, the dr dramatic descriptions, an objective account. And then finally, it gives me a plan and an outline. And if I, if I gave you the plan and the outline, I can do it in two words. Peter and who else? Peter and P. Peter and Paul. P and P. Peter and Paul. So a large section of the book is going to deal with Peter and a, an even larger section of the book is going to deal with Paul. So that's a very simple way of breaking the book down. Another way is to go to chapter 1 and um, where it says that, that this gospel would go to... Um, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So, we're seeing the spread of Christianity. We've seen what Jesus did, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He ascends up to heaven, the ascension. I bet you've not heard many sermons on the ascension, have you? But that's an important concept in the Bible. He ascends to heaven. He pours the gift of the Holy Spirit out on the church. The church has confidence, power. The gospel goes like wildfire. And in a relatively short period of time, the gospel goes to the then known world. So didn't Jesus say in Matthew 28, go into all the world, this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed. Now, when we're working our way through the book of Acts, I want you to put yourself in those verses. Because those, even though we read a lot about apostles, people like Peter and Paul, we're seeing God working through his people. I'm surprised sometimes when, when um, this happened to me just recently here, one of the church members says, oh, you have so much confidence in me, Pastor. Well, you don't really know what I'm thinking about you, do you? But from the Bible, I know what God thinks about you. And I know the value that God puts upon you. And I know how God can take a person like Peter, for example, 
who denied his Lord. That's how scared he was. That's how weak he was when the testing time came. And how God could fill that man with his Holy Spirit. It wasn't his conversion. It was an anointing of the Holy Spirit that turned that early church from a scared church hiding in an upper room to standing on street corners boldly proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ and let the chips fall where they may. Now, how can you get such a transformation in an individual? Is it because they learn a little bit more theology? No, because of the anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we will have a lot to say uh, in this series of sermons on the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice as we go back to Acts chapter 1, we read about in Luke, Jesus began to do, to teach, till the day he ascended up to heaven. He gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Often we, we kind of forget about that or we skip over that. But before Jesus ascended to heaven, he spent a considerable amount of time giving Bible studies. Wouldn't you have loved to have been those apostles? I don't know how many people it was. It must have been more than just 12. A lot of believers, and they're given instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of them are going to be saying, yeah, I remember he said that. Well, yeah, you remembered and it was somewhere there on the back burner, but Jesus is bringing it out and is repeating it again, and he's emphasizing the importance of it. And I think one of the things that Jesus would have done then, he would have, he would have given them instruction on exactly what is the good news about Jesus Christ. What is the significance of the cross, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where does it all fit in? To God's plan. And then how do you work with people? How do you approach a stranger and tell them about the, the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ? Everybody in this church should know how to do that. We need to get all of our excuses, bundle them up, and toss them in the river. Well, they might fine us for littering if we do that, huh? But it's very basic that you and I should know how to lead people to Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not a complicated thing to do. It's not something that you need a PhD. Congratulations, Addie. I hear that you just finished uh, your thesis. And if you don't believe that you have to work hard for a PhD, then ask Addie about that. She didn't just pay some money and get a diploma through the mail. She actually had to work for it. But there's nothing so demanding about sharing Jesus with people. It should be the most natural thing in the world to us to know how to do that. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. Yes, it is a learned process. Yes, you will make mistakes. If I told you, if I stood up here this morning and told you some of my blunders, I might go a few notches down in your estimation. But all of that is part of the learning process. And I wish, I really wish that I would have had a pastor that could have taken me aside when I 
uh, was saved when I knew Jesus Christ and discipled me and showed me how to do this stuff. Now, praise God, I did have a church member who tried her best to show me how to do that. And I did learn a lot from her. But I never really had anyone that took me under their wing and went over the ABCs of witnessing, making disciples, and things like that. And I think it's the greatest need of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, If I can use a simple illustration, the Chamberlains may have one more week here. And if, if one thing, they've done numerous things, we've been blessed with their music and other contributions that they made, but from a pastor's point of view, one of the most valuable things that they've done is get these cards filled in. And you can't imagine the anguish that I go through when we've had Fred visiting from Red Bluff. We have some visitors from Red Bluff, so that's in my head. Welcome. And I don't know who Fred is. I have no phone number for him. Or that lady in the red dress that everybody noticed because she wore a red dress, but nobody got her name, nobody got her number, and to me, right or wrong, that's a tragedy. If the Lord sends people to worship with us, shouldn't we know who's in our house? Wouldn't you want to know who's in your house? Isn't that part of being a good host, that you at least say hello to the guests who come to your home? Now, it's true, my son's brought some people home that I might have rolled my eyes, but I was still polite to them. To me, that's minimum Christianity. It's Christianity 101. It's all part and parcel of what it means to be a church family that attracts people and does not repel people. Which one do we want to be? Attract or repel? Obviously, we want to attract. And this is part of the process. So if I get one of those cards with a name and a number, I don't need your social security number. Don't need a lot of information. just want to phone and say, hey, thanks for worshiping with us. And if there's anything that we can do to help you, especially when it comes to spiritual things, which is what pastors are equipped to do, then we're available. And it's amazing when you just pray with people on the phone. It's amazing what kind of connection you can get with them. Let's face it, folks, you might be the only person that's prayed with that other individual their whole life. Now, is that a hard thing to do? No. That's something that many of us could do and most of us should do, and that's how God's kingdom is built up, and that's how God's kingdom expands. So I'm sure that the Lord Jesus Christ, just when he sent them out two by two, when he's with them for 40 days, he knows he's going to ascend to heaven. They're not going to see him probably again in his bodily form. And he was resurrected with a body, was he not? He has that for how long? Eternity. 
He's one of us. We're one of him. We're in Christ. So he's going to give them very, very detailed instruction. He's going to help them to understand how all the messianic prophecies, how it all comes together, and then how they should share this in the marketplace of ideas. And we are part of that ministry, whether we know it or not. You may, you may not want to take the name apostle upon you, on you, and I can fully understand that. Usually we think of the apostles as people who saw the Lord Jesus Christ, spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I'm an apostle born out of due time. And he always defended his apostleship because people said, Paul, he wasn't one, truly an apostle because he didn't see the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. But did he see Christ on the Damascus Road? At least he saw this bright, glorious light, and he's definitely one of the apostles. So you may not want to call yourself an apostle. You should call yourself a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And my job, and the job of the elders in this church, and anyone, I don't care if you're an elder or not, actually, but anyone who has any interest in, in in your brother and sister in the faith, we should always be trying to disciple. So really what we do want to do with Sonia is we want to clone her. Because I'm afraid in, in, in a few weeks when they're gone that I'm not going to get that ministry being done as well as she's done it. And if you have a position in the church, you should be trying to work yourself out of that position and train somebody to take over your position. Not so you can be unemployed in God's kingdom, but so it frees you up to do other things. That's how God's kingdom expands. You can clearly see that when somebody like Paul would work with someone like Barnabas or even Luke. You would have this discipling going on. The more experienced man would be teaching the less experienced man. Till in the end, the less experienced man became the experienced man. And he would be taking somebody else under his wing. And so people were being mentored. The kingdom of God is growing. It's being built. It's not depending on just one or two, two people. Jail, throw Paul into jail. Does the, does the Christian church collapse? No. If they've got people in place, trained, strong in the faith, then God's kingdom moves on. So notice in these texts, in verses 2 to 5, that Jesus chose them. Jesus showed himself to them. Some of them didn't believe, even when he was there. Imagine how hard it is for some of us to believe when we don't see him. They did see him and still didn't, didn't believe, some of them. Jesus commanded or commissioned them. We see that in the last verses of Matthew 28. And Jesus promised them this precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 and 5. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Can any of you... In your mind, can you think of where Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit to disciples? There's quite a few places. One of them is right at the back of Luke. So flick back to Luke, the last chapter. So I've given you the beginning of Luke, which fits in very well with the beginning of Acts. 
But now I'm taking you to the end of Luke. Jesus has appeared. He's been resurrected from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples. He's ate some fish with them. And he says in verse 44 of chapter 24, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's what we call the Old Testament. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written. The Christ, the Messiah, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance of forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, when we go back to the book of Acts, and we'll deal with this next week, we see in verse 8, which is probably the key text, or at least one of the key texts in the whole book, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here's an outline right there in the text of the book. Judea, Samaria, ultimately to the ends of the earth. There is no ending for the book of Acts because the work is not finished yet. You and I can maybe help to provide an ending for the book by witnessing and sharing and expanding the kingdom of God. But it'll never happen without this anointing of the Holy Spirit. Someone has said the Acts is essentially a record of the activities of the Holy Spirit. I would say the Holy Spirit or Jesus working through the Holy Spirit here he is seen related to every aspect of the believers in the church's life and work. He is the spirit of promise, chapter 1. In chapter 2, he is the spirit of power, that's Pentecost. Chapter 3, of healing. Chapter 4, of boldness. Judgment, chapter 8. Of comfort, chapter 9. Of guidance, chapter 10. Prophecy, chapter 11. The Holy Spirit of deliverance in chapter 12. Of missions in 13. Of protection in 14 of councils in chapter 15 where they have the Jerusalem council, of restraint and constraint, chapter 16, of opportunity, chapter 17, of revelation, 18, of purpose. Indeed, the Spirit dominates the whole story. The Acts is the record of a Spirit-begotten, Spirit-filled, and Spirit-guided church. Sometimes... As a Christian, you feel like you're in first gear. The Holy Spirit wants to put the Anderson Church in overdrive. And you and I have a lot to say in how effective the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. This morning as we were studying, for those of us that were here earlier, it's about getting rid of the idols. The Israelites were worshipping many gods, many idols. And in our, in our class, I said, take 
the idols out. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what the idols are. Sometimes they're there and we're not even aware. Sometimes we are aware and we feel very comfortable with them. But get those idols out. Allow God to deal with them in a proper way so that they do not have a place in your heart. Isn't that one of the most amazing things that the Holy Spirit does? That God's Spirit can get into the life, into the mind of a believer. And things, idle things that were worshipped at one point, later when the Spirit's done His work, can be as nothing in your life. In other words, we're talking about a tremendous transformation of character. A renewing, as Paul says uh, in Romans 12, a renewing of the mind. Think of all the things the Holy Spirit does. He, He calls us, He convicts us, He converts us, He He washes us, we read last week in Titus. He washes, He renews us. All the work of the Holy Spirit. So we are tremendously dependent on this third person of the Godhead to bring us to Christ, to keep us in Christ, and to mold us and to shape us into the image of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of anything better I would like on my tombstone. Don't worry, I'm not planning to die for a while. Molded in the image of Jesus. Mm. No glory that we take, all the glory goes to God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are actively working right now in your life and in my life to mold you and shape you into the Lord Jesus Christ, to energize you with power so that you, don't, you have confidence and power to speak and share the Lord Jesus Christ and get out into your community and live the Jesus life. And if you think you don't have the ability to speak, well, do you have the ability to do something for somebody? There's many ways of letting your light shine, right? But it's all the work, it's all the work of our God working in us through His Spirit to make us what He wants us to be. We will see amazing things in the book of Acts. And there's a tendency for us to say, yeah, but that was just for the apostles. And that was just for the first century. And, and I've received the Holy Spirit when I've become a Christian. And I have what I need. And my thimble full of Holy Spirit is enough to get me through. And I see that mentality in the Seventh-day Adventist church. At least as I know the Adventist church here in North America and in Europe. And I would say that is the death knell that kind of thinking is the death now of Christianity. We need to be thinking of, of being aggressive for Christ, of expansion for Christ. There's no limit. It's the whole world, not a little piece of Palestine that has to be enlightened. The whole world needs the gospel. There are billions of people being born as I preach, or millions at least. Who's getting get the gospel to them? Well, it's you and me. You and me. Let's be faithful to what God has given us. And there's no greater gift that He's given us than the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You this morning for being a loving, as Joe said, a loving Heavenly Father. Um, Let us praise You and glorify You and and exalt in what a, a wonderful Father You are. Lord, 
we know that Jesus lived and died for us. and We're in Him and He is in us. And He promises this, this gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we're not a Christian if we don't have the Holy Spirit. But there needs to be fresh baptisms and fresh renewal of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want that to happen in our lives. So take away what any blockages that may be there, anything that slows down your work through us and just cleanse us, anoint us, fill us with your Holy Ghost and help us to share, be good witnesses and share the love of Jesus Christ to a dying world is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.